Thank you very much. And welcome uh, to the Metta Retreat, to one week of developing what my colleague uh, Anushka Fernandapula called unstoppable friendliness for one week. How's that sound? (laughs) And my name is Donald Rothberg. I'm one of the teachers and I'll introduce myself a little more fully and we'll introduce ourselves just briefly, uh, just in a little while. I'll say a few welcoming words and then Kyra Jewell will more fully introduce us to the retreat. Um, Maybe first to ask, uh, how many people have done a meta retreat before? Okay, well, and how many people, is this your first meta retreat? How many people, is this the first retreat? Welcome. Welcome. One of the qualities that people notice coming to Spirit Rock, or if you've been here, is uh, the power of the land. I wanted to talk just a little bit about this land and its history. And it's really um, a tremendous support for our practice. The people that have lived in this area for uh, probably over 10,000 years are called the uh, Coast Miwok. Nearby are the Ohlone and the Pomo. And Coast Miwok people remain in this area, as, as many of you know. They probably came 10,000, a little bit more than that years ago. 12,000 years ago, the beings that were here were uh, giant sloths, mastodons, bison, camel-like mammals, members of the horse family, short-faced bears, and dire wolves. Uh, Sadly, somewhat after the um, humans arrived, those beings were not not as present. And I've been coming to Spirit Rock for 35 years. I have not seen a mastodon, maybe on this retreat. And so the... um, Coast Miwok people who lived here actually had no tribes, no chiefs, no armies. There were extended families or bands, and they lived um, according to models of democratic governance. Everything was talked out until there was consensus. That was the way that they lived. In this area, there have been about 600 village sites identified. Europeans came in the 1700s, and the population declined sharply after that, but not completely. 
and the Coast Miwok were there. In fact, this county is called Marin County and was named after a chief of the uh, Coast Miwok named Chief Marin. That's the name of the county. When the first Europeans came, they asked the names of the people they met, the uh, Coast Miwok. And the Coast Miwok responded, Satoko. We are the people who live here in this place called Sata. I want to invite you sometime, could be later today, but most likely tomorrow, to, if you wish, follow a ritual which I learned from a friend named Brenda Salgado, who is um, about half indigenous. And it's a practice you might, um, that might resonate with you. It's to really to sometime early on in our retreat to go somewhere on the land and basically thank the land for being able to practice here. And you can make an offering in ritual or in your words, your thoughts, what's in your heart. If that calls you, uh, we would invite that. So I'll just say a word about myself and then invite my colleagues to say a word about themselves. And then we'll turn it over to Kyra Jewell. Um, again, my name is Donald Rothberg. And I live here in the uh, Bay Area, more Ohlone, ter Ohlone territory, also called uh, Berkeley, California. And... Uh, I have been coming to Spirit Rock since the late 80s when it, when it opened. And I, I've been uh, helping with this retreat for uh, 24 years. And was invited a long time ago by Sylvia Borstein, who really founded the retreat. And she'll be here later in the retreat. And I'm a teacher at Spirit Rock. And... Uh, you know, focus, you know, teach the heart practices, the wisdom practices. Also, very important is connecting our practices with engagement in the world. Maybe that's enough for me. And let me maybe go to Kyra Jewell and Jonathan will. Uh, maybe go. Let's go to Jonathan first. Yeah, and then we'll just come down this way. Good evening, Sangha. Magandang gabi. Good evening in Tagalog. I'd just like to always acknowledge my grandparents. When I introduce myself, my grandparents are from the Philippines and um, were very active in the communist armed struggle there. And my father was very active in the people power movement that ousted um, Ferdinand Marcos. And my mother was a uh, 
a health advocate in, in inner city Manila. So I just come from a lineage of um, activists and um, folks who care about serving others. Um, my first um, door and point of entry in my vocational life was as a community organizer, and I found myself burning out twice in my first nine years. And I share all that because that was my door into, um, the yoga, into yoga and dharma practice. That um, yoga and the dharma, um, you know, through those, through those practices, I was able to go ahead and uh, recover my, my health and my well-being and eventually re-entered movement-building spaces uh, to support um, the health and well-being of folks on the front lines with these same practices that I used to basically save, save myself. Um, I guess the one thing that I'll just share more is I just want to let you all in, just give you a little view of what's been in my personal practice these last few months. Um, and will actually be in the center of my practice with all of my time with you um, this week is that, you know, Palestine and Israel have been on my heart every day for the last few months. And the inquiry that I've really been centering with my teachers and my Dharma siblings is, how is my Dharma and yoga practice um, cultivating a culture of nonviolence as it relates to what's happening in the Middle East? And um, what does socially engaged Buddhism look like in my personal and collective practice? The, the invitation, if, if it feels, if there's any resonance is, you know, during our week here, just to inquire an invitation, you know, how is our time together this week um, impacting our, our relations and the social conditions that, that we care most about. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, my name is Kyra Jewell, and um, I have arrived here uh, maybe like some of you. Anybody else come here from the East Coast today? All right. We'll do our best to stay awake for this evening <laughs> evening program. Um, I live in the uh, lands of the Muncie, Lenape, and Merrick peoples of Long Island, Garden City. Um grew up in Chicago and Nairobi, Kenya, um, and Atlanta, and um, grew up in a Christian, um, kind of engaged Christian community, uh, family religious order, um, and uh, found myself drawn to monastic life after coming to Plum Village and lived in the monastery of Thich Nhat Hanh, um, that community for 15 years, and, um, and then um, found myself drawn to return to lay life and 
continue teaching and practicing and um, very much also um, drawn to the Vipassana tradition after training in the Zen tradition. Um, So I continue to be uh, a teacher and practitioner in both Zen and Vipassana. Um, And just to maybe pick up some of the threads of of Jonathan, and I'm sure all of us teachers uh, here, um, a big part of my journey as a teacher, as a practitioner um, in the Buddhist path has been how um, these practices and our community can be part of... um, transforming not only our individual suffering, but our societal suffering. So I've um, done a lot to, a lot of my interest has been in creating retreats for BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, sanghas for BIPOC uh, folks, looking at undoing racism, healing racism in our world, in our Buddhist communities, as well as Um, ecological earth justice and how do we really use the Dharma to look at um, the unraveling of our world as it's it's happening so that we can manifest something something different, something um, that allows the future to be possible. Uh, very, very happy to be able to spend this week together to not only share, but also learn learn from you all. Thank you. Get this all on here. So, hi, uh, my name is Beth Sternlieb, and um, I'm really delighted to be here with um, my Dharma friends teaching. Um, I live in Los Angeles and I teach there at Insight LA. And, um, you know, I think like many people, I came to the Dharma with a lot of suffering and confusion. And one of the causes of that suffering was I was really afraid of my own mind, really afraid. And I think that that fear was so unbearable that um, I became really interested in silent retreat as a way of kind of meeting that fear And for about 10 years after my kids were older, I I sat at least two months uh, a year, mostly at IMS, but also at Spirit Rock. And um, it was was the right choice. You know, I, I started to become more comfortable with myself, more relaxed, more realistic, and also more, you know, kinder really kinder, and I just have such a profound um, trust 
in this practice, in this process, in the Buddhist teachings. And um, it's been really a source of refuge in our world right now to have to kind of hold the suffering of the world. Um, uh, You know, and it's just really touching and uh, profound that the work we do with our own hearts um, makes us more available to others. And, you know, that's why I'm really happy to be here with people like you who recognize the value of understanding ourselves, understanding each other, doing no harm. So anyway, I'm I'm grateful to be here, and I look forward to getting to know you and... um, and sharing in the nourishment of being here, you know, the deep kind of nourishment of practicing together. So thank you. My name is uh, Gulu Singh. I live in Santa Monica, California teacher at Spirit Rock, also teach at Inside LA in LA. Beth was the very first Dharma teacher that I sat with every week. It was like 2009, I think. Um, So this woman has had a profound influence on my practice. Uh, I come to this role of Dharma teacher uh, on the tail of a 30-year career as a corporate real estate lawyer which I still have a little, I'm very happy to say that starting last year, the law became the side hustle, and this is the main gig. And, uh, you know, a lot of my practice has been focused on how we can bring the qualities of heart that are so accessible in these spaces into busy, active, sometimes conflict-oriented spaces. Uh, And it's always moving to see, you know, almost 100 people who are willing to take a whole week out of their lives uh, and choose to be here. So I look forward to spending this time together. And thank you already for your presence. I want to invite um, everyone here in the hall to take maybe two or three minutes and turn to one or two, three people right next to you with whom you'll be sharing this practice over this week and just say hi, introduce yourself uh, in whatever way you'd like. Take about, about three minutes right now. Can have groups of three or four.
Yeah, so wishing well. Wishing well to those with whom you've spoken and we'll be able to do this again in about one week. <laughs>
sharing with the teachers today that I've um, taught this retreat with Donald and Gulu and others always online in the past few years. And this is the first time I've gotten to be here in person and so so happy to be able to sing with people where we can hear each other instead of on Zoom. Um, So I'll share a little bit about metta, about loving kindness, the practice of it, and also how how we can hold this retreat, what, what it means to be on retreat, on a metta retreat. So metta is the Pali word, often translated as loving kindness. Um friendliness, benevolence, wishing well. And it comes from the root uh, mitra, which means friend. So when we cultivate metta, we become more and more a friend to ourselves, to all the parts of ourselves, a friend to others, all the parts of themselves, a friend to all beings eventually, so that we have no enemies. So we find um, the Buddha teaching about loving kindness, friendliness, in the context of the four Brahma Viharas the four divine abodes, the four immeasurable minds of love, four faces of love, four flavors of um, deep presence and care. And so metta is listed as the first, the loving kindness, and then there's karuna, compassion, mudita, appreciative joy, taking delight in the goodness of others, the fortune of others and ourselves. And the fourth is upekka, or equanimity. So these are all all aspects of the same thing, right? They're loving kindness in the face of suffering, it's compassion. Loving kindness in the face of someone's good fortune, that's mudita, appreciative joy. So we can think of them as facets of a diamond, and they all support each other, and when we practice one deeply, we're practicing all of them, all of the four faces of love. And... My favorite aspect of this teaching of these four Brahma Viharas is they're also called 
the four immeasurables or the, you know, boundless minds of love. And so the, the teaching is that we, we can never get to the end of our capacity to be friendly and loving. We always can grow and grow to, to infinity. Like our love can be that big, can be that vast, that it can include everyone and everything in it. I just want to say, wow, you know, like we're capable of that. We don't see ourselves often in that light. We tend to think of ourselves as pretty um, limited, right? And just just this one self-contained, you know, body with this heart the size of our fist. But actually, the teachings say that much, much bigger than that. And that is, you know, what a Buddha is, is someone who cultivates all of these four qualities infinitely. And, you know, immeasurably. And that's what we're here to do. Did you know that? You were going to go home <laughs> more more of a buddha more more of who we really are and because when we practice loving kindness we we find out what is in us that blocks loving kindness what is in us that um clips our wings and we learn how to work with those things so that we can keep expanding, keep growing in love. Um, but to not put too much pressure on us about becoming Buddhas in the next week, well, we, we're just here to become more, more of a friend. We can really develop that sense of a, of a friend to ourselves, to others. So the practice of metta is a conscious cultivation of this state, of wishing well, of, of kindness. And these mind states arise naturally in daily life when we see something, you know, Maybe a child laughing and that metta might arise or someone offers us something or does something kind and metta comes up. So we know, we know how that works in, when it's stimulated externally. But this practice of, of metta on retreat is an intentional cultivating and strengthening of it without an external cause. So it's just like weightlifting when we strengthen our muscles. It's, you know, training these neural pathways in our minds that we can actually generate this quality from within and strengthen it from within so that more and more 
when we encounter things in our daily life, that energy is present. It bubbles up on its own. So a friend of mine was telling me about visiting a friend of hers in her, they were in this friend's kitchen and she was noticing how mindfully and carefully she was washing her dishes and the pots, the pans, just very, you know, very slowly, very carefully. And she, they were both Dharma practitioners and she said, you're practicing metta. Stealth, meta for your like pots and pans. And her friend said, you know, she smiled. She said, yes, I am. You know, so even in the most mundane tasks, meta can arise, this sense of, of care, of appreciation for the smallest things. So this, this cultivation is very um, powerful. It has a very powerful effect on us. Um, it can really support healing, can support transformation in our consciousness. Um, so I thought just for a moment I would invite us to call to mind in this moment um, a time when you felt friendliness or loving kindness for some being. Maybe it was for yourself when you were, maybe you were struggling or maybe you were, you know, just bringing kindness to yourself. But maybe it was for someone else and maybe it was for an animal or a plant, or a place. But just see if you can recall in this moment um, an occasion when friendliness, loving kindness arose. In a visceral way. And so just bring that moment to mind in detail where you were, and then especially what it felt like in your body to to touch care. Maybe you were thinking something kind or maybe you were expressing your friendliness in some way. Just recall the way that your body and mind responded to these feelings or to these actions. Uh So, maybe you experienced tenderness, or calm, or warmth, or ease in that moment. Maybe there was a sense of connection, joy, 
And so just notice how it impacts you even right now, right here, to, to recall that moment. So we can bring this recollection, this remembering to a close. Maybe take a deep breath and just feel gratitude for that moment. And if you, if you notice any shift in your being in recalling that, just raise your hand if you... Yeah. So, so it, it is a real force, loving kindness. So the stronger that our metta grows through our cultivation of it, the more the more it can really um, be available to us. Even in difficult situations. So we'll be learning to cultivate this friendliness first towards ourselves as we saw in the song, we progressed from may I be happy, may you be happy. So then we'll be cultivating kindness, friendliness for um, a benefactor, someone who's been a mentor or a dear friend to us. And then we'll move on to offering kindness to neutral um, people or a, a stranger, the friendly stranger another way to think of a neutral person. And then we may also um, bring up a difficult person and offer loving kindness very much to the end of the retreat. Don't have to worry. (laughs) We won't have you jump in the deep end. And then also to all beings, to really include all beings in our love. Um, and we'll we'll be practicing with phrases, like one version is the song we sang, but there's a number of versions. You have a packet with um, many versions that we'll be talking about, and we'll be encouraging you to find your own words, your own phrases that really work for you. But we'll also be practicing ways of sharing... Um, of, of sharing the energy of friendliness without words, Donald will offer the practice of radiating metta, um, just sharing it out energetically. Um, we'll also look at um, how to work with obstacles to metta. What are the things that arise that are difficult? How we can deal with them, practice skillfully with them. We'll look at how we can bring metta into our daily lives and also how we can really you know bring these teachings to bear in terms of bigger issues of social injustice 
and oppression and violence in our world, in our systems. So some spiritually engaged practice. What does metta look like um, as a, a sacred activism? And so I'll just finish um, sharing a little bit about our retreat container. So as you know, we'll be practicing silence. And this is to really create the space for us to allow the noise, the busyness, the activity of our daily lives to um, settle into the background so that we can hear and tend to these inner messages from our heart that may get drowned out by all the um, all the busyness of our daily lives. And that, that itself is an act of metta for ourselves, just bringing ourselves to a place where we can be present for ourselves more deeply. Um, so loving kindness really means to be there, to be with, first and foremost. So this retreat is a chance to really be with whatever's here, to be with your breath, to be with your, you know, grumbling stomach when you're hungry, to be with, you know, the ache in your shoulders, to be with, you know, the smile as you, you know, connect with with something that inspires you here, or, you know, a sorrow, or um, a beautiful memory. So it's really an opportunity to come home to ourselves, to be there for our body, for our feelings, for our thoughts, for our consciousness. to befriend all of these elements of our experience and maybe even get to know new, new places inside of us that we haven't um, encountered before or that we haven't been able to bring acceptance or welcome to. So we may, we may be opening you know, doors inside of ourselves that haven't been opened. And so Jonathan already brought up, you know, the suffering of the war in um, Gaza and Israel. And there are wars in Ukraine and Sudan and um, Syria and a number of other places, as well as a lot of a lot of chaos, a lot of disruption in our world. It seems to feel like it spirals faster and faster each year, this sense of things unraveling. Um, and so as we arrive here, also with all the 
polarization in our society, all of the violence, gun violence, and racism, and anti-Semitism, and anti-Islamophobia, and um, immigrant crises, we, we may arrive here with a lot on our hearts. We may have a sense of numbness and overwhelm, rage, despair, hopelessness. And metta is needed now more than ever when we look at all of these challenges, all of these stuck areas in our human cultures and systems. So both internally metta is needed and can be a kind of... mm, lubricating uh, fluid that can help us get unstuck internally. But it's also an energy that can be very supportive in our world. Um, And because we often think of strength in our culture as being competitive and vulnerable, we can think that this softening and opening of the heart is a kind of weakness or is um, not going to give us the edge that we need. Um, but actually, um, this practice is, is very strengthening. Um, it's very protective. It helps us to be resilient and able to withstand a uh, great, great challenge. It's a fierce practice, not a weak one. Um, it was, you know, the Buddha offered it as, as the way to protect ourselves in the face of danger, is to come with wishes of well-being for those that may even wish us harm. So in this retreat, um, we can make each step in friendliness to the earth. We can offer friendliness when we step on the earth. We can receive friendliness and support from the earth. Each time we have a meal, we can be aware of all the hands that have gone into supporting us to receive this nourishment. That's a way to cultivate metta. Each time we pass by another retreatant, we can appreciate that We couldn't be here without everyone else deciding to be here. There wouldn't be a retreat if all of you didn't register. So we can just be grateful that, you know, thanks to each other, we get to be here. And just appreciate that Each of us is showing up here because we want to grow our hearts. We want to deepen our capacity to love. 
And every time we hear the turkeys or the bird song or the hawks, we see the, the beauty of the wildlife, we can appreciate and send friendliness to all these beings that share this land with us to cultivate, you know, take it as a moment to cultivate unconditional friendliness, unstoppable friendliness, as Donald was sharing. Offering, may you be happy to whatever, the tree, to the person, to, you know, the life around us. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be free. So this is an energy, this is a practice that can deeply support us and our world in this time of great, great challenge and great need. So we're not not here just for ourselves, even though we are here for ourselves, but we are also here for um, for so much more. Because as those seeds, as those those beautiful states strengthen in us. Um, that has an effect on the larger whole. So I'll stop, stop there. So we've been sitting for a while. We want to invite people to stand up, not a break, and can stand up if you wish for... Um, four or five minutes, and during that time, Jonathan will talk a little bit about the yoga. Yeah, please continue moving and giving your body what it needs. Um, In regards to our yoga practice, one thing that I um, really associate with yoga practice together is just this practice of sangha, and the practice of sangha is really... Um, around practicing inclusion. What I'm present to is that there's close to 100 folks here with us during this week, and there's just a diversity of bodies and a diversity of needs. Um, and I just want to let you know I'll be offering options and variations, and you know, feel free to just go ahead and raise your hand and let me know if there's something that's not working for you, and I'll offer that. I'll offer another alternative um, There might be some of us who might be um, self-identified, experienced, advanced practitioners. And, you know, just the invitation is, you know, an invitation to be curious and explore beginner's mind and ask yourself, you know, what can I discover here? Um, In the Raja Yoga tradition, um, mindful movement, asana, prepares the body for meditation and pranayama, breathing techniques, prepares the, the mind for meditation. So you can use mindful movement to release tension and stress from the body. 
and breathing techniques to go ahead and calm the mind so that both actually work together to support steadiness and ease in, in our meditation practice. Uh, yoga is an embodiment practice, and as we practice being with our body, um, we can explore and reflect on uh, what are we remembering and what are we retrieving. So through yoga, we enter by entering the body, we can enter our hearts, and by entering our hearts, we can cultivate and be aware of, of metta, which is a quality of our true nature and also a quality that you know exists in every cell of our body. Um, yoga amplifies awareness of the body, it amplifies awareness of the heart, and it amplifies awareness of, of metta. Just given the conditions of our communities, our movements, our countries, the worlds that we live in, yoga is also a way to digest and metabolize um, any trauma that we might be experiencing so that we can access and feel metta um, as our true nature. Just in terms of logistical details, the yoga sessions will be in the upper walking hall. Um, we will have a morning yoga session, and then there'll be one, actually, let me go ahead. 3.15. Thank you, Donald. 3.15, and then one at um, 4.45. Um, the first two will be, will include practices that involve standing, seated, lying down, and movement. And then the one at 4.45 will be specifically for chair yoga. Um, there is no session that is better than the other. It's just really what, what's going to best support your body's needs and your practice this week. Um, no, feel free to not raise your hand, but we just want to go ahead and get a temperature check just in terms of figuring out the, the right space and the amount of chairs that we need. And Jonathan, people just do one session. One session? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, just one of the yoga sessions. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, folks, if you can just do a one yoga session. And for folks who are likely interested in doing the chair yoga session, I'm just curious if, if you can just, if you know that that's something that would support your practice this week, can you, can you raise your hand, the chair yoga practice? Can I have a friend count the hands, please? Thank you, Kyra Jewel. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, please, if you're doing the first two, if, you, if you're doing um, the yoga session that's at the upper walking hall, if you can please come prepared to roll out your mat, have a block and a strap um, ready. And um, I think that's it for now. Um, thank you for your listening. Um, Jonathan, I think we should um, give some guidance that people, did you say people on this side of the hall do the morning one and the other side the afternoon. Oh, thanks. I didn't, I didn't mention that. Okay. So in order for us to go ahead and the upper walking hall actually can't accommodate everybody here. So what we'll do is um, for folks on this side of the hall right here, if you're interested in practicing yoga, please come to the first morning session. All right. That's going to be at nine. 45, I'm, 
Yeah, this, um, my, if you're, I'm facing you all, my left, my left. And then for folks who want to, for folks doing the 315, it'll be everybody here on my right at 315. Is that it, Donald? Turn at the back. Mm-hmm. They'll be, they'll be upstairs. Great question. Any other questions about the yoga practice? Thank you for asking that. Um, if you just go out these doors, if you stay to the right, there's going to be a staircase to the upper walking hall in this building. Out these doors right here. Yes. Great question. You can use um, the lower walking hall. There are some props. Yoga. Is that correct, Aaron, that we still have that? Yep. So the lower walking hall is right beneath this, um, the, the room that we're in right now. You can go ahead and go out these doors, and then there's a, an entrance. You can go ahead and go out the, the side door and then walk down these stairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Kyra Joel. So uh, recently I heard a teacher describe Dhamma practice as developing the wisdom to know where to rest the attention. We could say attention, we could say mind. In the time of the Buddha, the word that they used to describe that's probably closest to the word we use, mind, is citta. And citta includes the heart. So it's mind to heart. You could say Dharma practice is developing the wisdom to know where to rest the heart. Uh, I find this quite profound because this is a challenge that we have, especially with the world that's on fire, so many things vying for our attention. How do we stay oriented? What do we trust in? Where can we have a sense of really being able to rest, to be safe, to be secure, to be held. And so but the, but this practice offers us, and we'll do this as a ritual together, this opportunity to take refuge or go for refuge. Taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha. We talk about taking refuge in the Buddha. We will chant these words, Buddham Saranam Gachami, I go to the Buddha for refuge. We can orient ourselves in these three sort of domains of, of practice. And taking refuge in the Buddha can be the inspiration of the story of 
Siddhartha Gautama, a person just like us who became the Buddha, he awakened. <clears throat> or more personally, a kind of trust or faith in our own capacity for transformation. That we have the ability to wake up, to be free of grasping, free of clinging, free of hostility and aversion, to develop this boundless heart of metta. And we'll chant the words, Dhammam Saranam Gachami. I go to the Dhamma for refuge. Dhamma is classically, this word Dhamma actually has so many definitions. One of the definitions is the teachings of the Buddha, these practices, these technologies that have been handed down in an unbroken stream of generosity for 2,600 years that catalyze this potential for transformation. And then more personally, the way we embody Dhamma by being aligned with this principle of non-harming. That we'll be practicing in some way all week this um, developing a heart that is harmless. And then the third kind of lodestar or north star or compass point is uh, Sangam Saranam Gachami. I go to the Sangha for refuge. Sangha, the community of practitioners, the community of monastic practitioners that brought us these practices from the time of the Buddha, the people here on the retreat, the community of practitioners, the way in which we support each other just by our presence. Most of us know that it's much easier to engage in the contemplative practice in community. And on an internal level, this Retreat in particular, we're going to be emphasizing friendliness. So practicing befriending our experience is also a kind of taking refuge in the Sangha. And Buddham Saranam Gachami, Dhammam Saranam Gachami, Sangham Saranam Gachami, it's present tense. I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dhamma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge. So this is something that we can engage in in any moment, and especially helpful when when there's confusion or we get disoriented in our practice or we need encouragement or we're going through the energies of purification where all the things that are not metta are revealing themselves to kind of stay in alignment with one of these three uh, domains, one of these three places that we can rest the heart. And I love the, the kind of dual meaning of the word refuge in English is the same meaning in Pali, the word sarna. Refuge is a place of safety. And then there's also a wildlife refuge, which is a place of um, where we're protected, where we're nourished, where the conditions for our thriving are um, set in place. So you have these words uh, on the sheet, the three refuges. <clears throat> I had COVID about a month ago, 
So I'm still a little bit croaky, but I'm going to um, suggest that we just chant this all together. Um, you'll notice that we take refuge three times. This is the spirit of like, maybe the first time you're just trying it on, the second time you mean it, the third time you really mean it. Like our, the core of all our practices is this idea of repetition. And then the first line, Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambuddhasa, we'll also chant three times. And this is the kind of like opening the heart to a sense of reverence to this fully enlightened being that started us, turned the wheel of the Dharma, as they say, and it's rolled even into our present time. You can also, if you wish, take a kind of physical embodiment of a posture of humility, reverence, respect. So we'll just chant this together. If you know it, great. Let your voice ring out. If not, you could just follow along. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddham saranam gachami, dhammam saranam gachami, sangham saranam gachami, dutyampi buddham saranam gachami, dutyampi dhammam saranam gachami, Dutyampi sangam saranam gachami, tatyampi buddham saranam gachami, tatyampi dhammam saranam gachami, tatyampi sangam saranam gachami. So now um, we'll share in um, the uh, commitments, taking the commitments to um, do what's known as the training precepts. Uh, I learned that these are called the happiness trainings. Wherever people are happy and living in harmony, these trainings are being practiced. They are what create harmonious communities and safe, loving environments. So honestly, this to me is one of the most profound and um, beautiful parts of the retreat, doing this together. 
creating this foundation of safety, and especially at this time when, um, you know, it's like this is a precious gift, these understandings. We're caring for them, carrying for them, carrying them to others, to each other, to ourselves. Uh, It's very meaningful. It always is meaningful. But today it's really um, rare rare to have this opportunity to be able to uh, cultivate peace together with each other's help and support. Uh, These are the trainings to do no harm, the activities of doing what it means to do no harm. And I just wanted to introduce, um, you know, um, wearing a mask, choosing to wear a mask if you decide to, as an act of generosity um, and a, you know, a way of supporting doing no harm on our retreat to container. Everyone has been tested, but we also have traveled, some of us by plane or from far away. So this is an optional practice, but if it's something that resonates with you, um, please, you know, um, wear a mask if, um, if, you know, it wasn't, it's not required, but we will be tested again, I think, on... Sunday? Sunday. Sunday. At that point, of course, uh, we can feel comfortable that everyone um, has tested negative, hopefully. But I just wanted to hold that out as a possibility for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can... Thanks. (laughs) And you can um, get... If you didn't bring masks, there are masks in the council house, I believe, on the table in the council house. So... um, Yeah, and now uh, just to introduce the five uh, happiness trainings uh, that the Buddha taught um, are practiced wherever uh, people are living in harmony. The first one is uh, refraining from killing, not taking life, cherishing life, This is a really profound practice. Um, My um, friends had to wait for me when um, we took the cart up the hill in the rain because there was a big spider in my room and I was gently taking it out and um, showing it back to um, a leaf that was uh, (laughs) near my um, little porch there. And... um, it's really amazing how this practice of caring for spiders and bugs and living beings um, tenderizes the heart. You know, when you do this practice, you'll find yourself seeing a little fly or something and wishing it well, you know, resonating with life. And that's such an important um, practice and sensibility and awareness to develop when our earth really needs our loving care, really needs our metta and compassion and care. So that's the first of the training precepts. The second one is to only take what is freely offered, to learn to share, 
You know, the earth has limited resources. It's offering a lot. But if we take more, there just won't be enough for us, for everyone. So only taking what's freely offered. And that means that, you know, in an environment where people are respecting that um, that precept, we can leave our uh you know, shawls or, or um, well, you know, whatever we have on our little cushions and just know that we're respecting each other's space and uh, we're free. We're free because of that to make this place comfortable and our home, our home for this week. The third of the training precepts is to practice ethical sexual relationships. And for the time of retreat, we practice celibacy to do no harm through the powerful energies of sexuality. It also on retreat, um, you know, it's a way of um, honoring um, uh, our... um, ability to, for our own kind of, um, I don't know, honoring each other's space is the word that comes up, you know, that we can support each other in being inward, being with our own hearts. Um, Really important um, to respect uh, each other in that way, to give the gift of being able to be together and and remain kind of um, in our own hearts and minds. And then the fourth of the training precepts is to practice wise speech. And it's often said that, you know, in retreat, because we're in silence, um, that it's easier to practice wise speech. But I like to remember that this also includes inner speech, the way we talk to ourselves, about ourselves, about other people, about the retreat, to really practice deep listening so we actually learn what wise speech is. And, you know, noble silence, for those of you who are new to retreat, um, it's a very important practice. It, uh, it allows us, it's almost like um, it tenderizes us. You know, we spend so much of our energy just trying to like relate to other people, to be socially acceptable, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of taken away, and we find an incredible freedom, and uh, we can just you know, see the beauty around us, um, hear the birds. It's really like a freedom from speaking. So, um, yeah. And that includes um, our devices. You know, it's really helpful if you feel um, moved to do it, to give over your phones tomorrow in our ceremony. Uh, If you've already given your phones to the office, you can still participate in the ceremony. Um, It's 
Yeah, or you can get your phone and bring it, whichever works for you. But it's just a wonderful support for practice. Understanding that you may have personal situation where that's not possible. But if it is, you know, I really recommend it. It's really um, a rare opportunity in this day and age to have somebody care for your phone. (laughs) So uh, I hope that you'll consider that. And that leads us to the fifth precept, which is to refrain from intoxicants. And I never know which place to put the phone, you know, and our devices. Are they, you know, is it about noble speech or is it about intoxication? Um, But either way, it's a good idea. And um, so when we say refraining from intoxicants, we're not talking about medications. You know, we're not talking about medications that support our health. We're talking about intoxicants that cloud the mind. The reason that we're here is to develop a relationship with clarity, clear seeing, deep understanding. And intoxicants get in the way of that. So I'd like to actually do the precepts in English the happiness training, so that we can really reflect on the words. And rather than read them, I'll, I'll use the, um, the words that I use in my own um, happiness training practice. And um, yeah, and I'll do a call and response. So if you want, you don't have to read, you can close your eyes, you can turn inward. I think, um, I know we're all tired, but it is a very empowering practice. It's how we create safety. So if you feel like beaming it out, it also helps us to feel a little more awake. Okay. Knowing that we're deeply interconnected. I undertake the happiness training To refrain from killing and cherish life. Knowing that we're deeply interconnected, I undertake the happiness training to only take what is freely offered. offered. Knowing that we're deeply interconnected, I undertake the happiness training to do no harm through sexuality. And to practice celibacy during the retreat. Knowing that we're deeply interconnected, I undertake the happiness training of wise speech. And noble silence.
knowing that we're deeply interconnected. I undertake the happiness training to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to harm. Thank you for your practice. We'll end the evening with a um, short, silent sitting. And this will really be our entry into the noble silence. And of course, there uh, will be times when we're in groups or meet with teachers or want to ask a question in the hall. Um, and otherwise, we're, we're in this noble silence. Yeah. What we have found helpful in meta-retreats is not to start necessarily right away with the meta-practice, but we'll actually give the um, full initial instructions at the 8.45 sitting. That's the one after breakfast. And that's when you bring your phones also. To uh, We'll have a basket where they will be kept safe and will be blessed. We'll have a little ritual tomorrow morning. But that it's, uh, we find it helpful to really take the time now and tomorrow morning we'll have a, an early sitting at what, I think six, is it 6.45? I think it is. And um, the invitation is to, to practice that which helps you to settle, just to arrive, be present, for many of us, that might be mindfulness practice. Just to be with the breath, to settle, to come back to the body, the breath, and so forth. And to do that right through to um, 8.45. So you can, when you walk, uh, can be with the walking practice and be in the hall in a little while, and then tomorrow morning, just with the breath, the body, your usual mindfulness practice. Um, for some of us, maybe very experienced with metta, if you feel called to start right away, that's fine. So it's really personal, that which helps you to settle, to arrive, to be here, to let go of whatever is lingering or calling from the past days. 
Anyone have anything lingering or calling from the past days? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we'll just, we'll just sit now for about seven or eight minutes, not very long. Again, whatever practice calls you to help you to settle. And we'll continue with this again, right through to 845, especially the mindfulness practice. Could be in the meal, uh, the breakfast tomorrow, in walking and so forth.
So time now um, for rest, if it's uh, the time for that. And uh, the hall will always be open. We can stay here a little while more, uh, come in early, come when you wish. And so um, the actual time for the uh, morning sitting practice before breakfast, uh, I gave it wrongly, it's 6.15. Uh, 6.15 with breakfast at 7. So, see you there. And when you rest, rest well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.